inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining today. Sometimes we we need to get some specialized information and we know that the the experts the subject matter experts have uh, have often challenges to communicate their work their facts their finding so we are discussing today what are the challenges that the, these professionals have and for that we have a, a very special guest i'm going to introduce you today Kate Yurba is a communicator, speechwriter, and speaker coach specialized in making science and research not only understandable, but also relatable for diverse audiences. A Finnish Canadian, Kate has worked for the Government of Canada and the United Nations University. She has created the lineup and speaker training program for a TEDx event and is currently based at Aalto University, where she is building the International Strategy for Science and Research Communications. Hello, Kate. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's fun being here. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing well, enjoying the winter months. The winter months, like some uh, some snow that came. Uh, yeah, it's nice to get some brightness outside. Love that. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, it's great talking with you. Um, yeah, I would like to hear how you started, what were your, your beginnings, how you became what you are today, a communication expert. Um, so I got interested in communications at a really young age. Uh, I started listening to conversations and how conversations unfolded uh, in front of me. I know this sounds very funny, but uh, I was probably five or six when I started paying attention to how grown-ups especially were engaging in conversations and how one topic led to another, uh, how they introduced topics and then complained about things, made connections. So I would listen to the conversations unfold. Really? Yes, really. <laughs> I know it's it sounds a bit funny, but I was kind of interested in stuff like that. So I, I would kind of trace the line of the conversation. And then when it got really boring, you know, that when you're a kid and uh, the grown-ups start talking about something that's really not very interesting anymore, then I would jump back in the conversation and I would try to think about, okay, how did we get here? So if uh, we someone was complaining about recycling guidelines mm -hmm. or the late trash pickup, then I would think about like, okay, what are the lines of conversation that brought us to this point? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, At one point, someone talked about pollution. Then they started talking about, oh, well, people need to pick up trash. And, oh, trash collectors come by on the streets. Oh, they were late this week and so on. So I would go through the, uh, the conversation over and over and think about, okay, how are, how are people getting there? So I was probably a little bit of a funny kid in that sense. Mm -hmm. But it was something I always enjoyed. And then when I started thinking about what to study, so if we go forward a few years, uh, then... I was interested in a program that combined different disciplines, uh, and that was, of course, communications. So I did my bachelor's and master's in communications at the University of Ottawa. And that was really great because that was a, a time when I started studying in 2001. And at that time, you know, that was when broadband internet was still quite new. Uh, and anything on the internet was called new media. 
So th- there was a real excitement about what, what this could be and what, what was ahead of us. So that, that's really how I got my start, uh, at least becoming interested in these concepts. But then, of course, I started working for the government and uh, professionally getting into these ideas as well. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, quite interesting. This uh, observing, I don't know, it's secretly this conversation of the adults. But it's <laughs> yeah. Always secretly or? Yeah, well, I think most kids have that experience where you're dragged somewhere. Uh, it could be at school too. It could be really anywhere. And then you're, there's not much to do. Nowadays, it might be a bit different, to be honest, because we have cell phones and we have yes. entertainment in front of us. But at that time, you know, I was born in the early 80s, so it was a different world. Uh, I had to think of things to do, and I just thought that was the fun thing at the time. Yeah, now why, why kids would pay attention to adults, right? <laughs> mobile phones and They the have better things, I'm hands. sure, yeah. Yeah, different times. <laughs> different times, indeed. Yeah, as you already tell you have worked in, in the government, you have to work with, for instance, policy makers. Mm. Today, we are, we are working with researchers and other subject matter experts. So, so what would you say now that you have experience working uh, with these professionals? What are the main challenges they have today? Um, well, as you mentioned, I work these days with researchers mainly. Uh, so people with very, very specific areas of expertise. Uh, people who have many times dedicated their whole lives to studying a specific phenomenon or a topic in different ways. Um, and it can trace back the evolution of the discipline, um, sometimes many decades. Um, in that context, I'd say that the biggest challenge is this common contradiction between, if we're talking about speaking to a broader audience, whether that means through a media interview or a panel discussion or a more open event, uh, there's this very common contradiction between what experts want to say, what they want to tell to the audience, uh, and what the audience wants to hear. And I know that if there are any experts or researchers listening to this, their ears just perked up. Uh, Kate, what do you mean about what the audience wants to hear? Mm -hmm. Do you mean that we're supposed to just tell them things that will please them? And that's not not the point. It doesn't mean um, blindly trying to please your audience. But I think that there is often disconnect between uh, the kind of underlining underlying assumptions of your own perspective and the common sense understanding that the audience might hold. So a lot of people who are in expert positions forget that general audiences, they don't share that same background, that they've, they, these experts have been trained for, okay, often, let's say, 10, 15 years of post-secondary education Mm -hmm. uh, before they even entered the official uh, beginning of their researcher career. So that's just the educational component. Uh, but they don't have the same background. They, of course, don't have the same understanding of the phenomenon usually. Um, and they don't necessarily appreciate the value of the topic or the perspective that the expert holds. That the things that become immediately obvious to, uh, to experts or people who have been working with the topic for a long period of time, uh, a more general audience doesn't have that perspective. They don't understand the value. They don't see it in the same way. And I think in a lot of contexts, if you're talking about 
uh, public speaking events, for example, a conference or uh, a longer workshop, let's say on climate change. So you have experts lined up from different disciplines. Just the fact that you're the last speaker can mean something different than if you're the first speaker. That the audience doesn't necessarily have the ability at that point to concentrate. Uh, so what they want to hear at that point in the local context of the situation, so whether it's that panel discussion, the day, or whatever it is, uh, there can be a big mismatch between what the expert comes in with and what the audience wants to hear. So I'd say that's the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's mismatch. And also you, you mentioned earlier that the expert wants, wants, want to say something and the audience wants to hear something. From the perspective of the audience, what usually the audience wants to hear from, a, yeah. from an expert? Yeah, uh, they want to hear something relatable. Uh, I think that if you're speaking to a wider audience, people without a specialized background, you it's your responsibility really to think about what can these people uh, not necessarily understand, but what can they relate to? So put yourselves in their shoes. That sounds incredibly generic, but it goes a long way. Um, and remember that your narrow focus is not your, your take on the topic or your perspective. Uh, that's not necessarily the best way to make something relatable. Just because you see it as important doesn't mean that other people will. So, uh, the end result for the audience, I think, is if you go in that wrong direction, is that, uh, it looks like you're just serving your own interests. You're saying what you want to say, or that it shows that you're out of touch with the real world because you don't know how to break things down. And I think that really threatens the expertise of people like, uh, who, uh, people who are specialists in their field in a way, because it, it says that, Uh, okay, you might be really smart, but you're not able to break this down in a digestible, understandable format for regular people. And that it's, it doesn't really hold with the idea of expertise. Mm -hmm. Yes, as you say, you're out of touch. So you don't, you don't understand and you don't know what, what is our reality. Yeah, I think that's often what audiences are left with. Um, not always, but of course, Uh, then the conversation is really about, okay, what's behind this? You know, why is it that we're seeing uh, specialist experts go into situations, talk about topics uh, at a very high or specialized level, even though they know that the audience might not grasp it? So what what's going on there? And at least in my experience, when I've talked to people about this, Uh, I've noticed that it's less the inability to distinguish between levels of complexity. I think most people understand that, okay, there's different ways to describe things. Uh, we're talking about incredibly intelligent people here, incredibly competent people in many ways. So it's not really about that, but it's more about a hesitancy to speak the language of your audience. And I think that's a little bit, at least in academic circles, and I'm sure this is true of other kind of specialist areas, that you just get locked into a way of speaking and it's hard to get out. And there's also, I would say, uh, a little bit of hesitancy to m simplify things in a way that could be seen as dumbing down. Mm. And 
I would love to see the conversation move away from dumbing down and making uh, more towards making things accessible. Dumbing down doesn't really benefit anyone, I think. But if we think about it more as, as making things accessible, digestible, understandable, relatable, it, it kind of opens up a more fruitful conversation. And as you already mentioned, the, the panel discussions as uh, one of the examples where the, where, where the experts are communicating. So for someone who is, is, is listening to us and saying, okay, I have to start paying attention how to improve, how to be prepared. So what are the main, um, uh, main circumstances like that, that an expert has to face? So one is this panel discussions can be, can be talks short and long, can be um, talking with the media. So what are the most common? Um, I would say that, well, talks and panels are definitely part of the experts world. And they often take place in very specialized contexts. So they're talking to their peers. And that's a different thing. That's a different beast than talking to uh, more general audiences, I would say. Uh, but more and more, at least in my work, I, I've seen uh, increased interest in making things more accessible, making things more interactive with general audiences. Uh, so I think we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, media interviews definitely come up all the time. People are asked to comment on a specific topic sometimes, but they're also uh, asked to talk about their own research and results if there's something exciting happening. So that comes up from time to time. Uh, some people are called on more often than others, mm -hmm. uh, but that is quite normal part of an expert's day-to-day uh, -day life. And then, of course, if we're talking about audiences more broadly, there's social media audiences. So there's people's own accounts. Uh, experts, researchers are encouraged these days to be active on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, there are different levels of excitement and engagement mm -hmm. in doing so, so let's in say. Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think for social media now, we're, we're, quite used to it, at least using it in our personal lives. People seem to be sometimes hesitant about using it in their professional lives, and they use different channels in different ways. And I think that's quite fine and normal. And people have to find their own way, what works for them, what do they feel comfortable with, how to use their own voice in what context, and so on. So uh, definitely, if you're interested, uh, take that on, but do it at your own rhythm, take it, take it easy and, uh, learn little by little. One area that, uh, at least I, I'm involved in is also institutional accounts. So, uh, if you work for an organization, which of course all these people do, then they have communications departments who are working with social media accounts who will also prepare different kinds of material. And I think in that capacity, uh, we're going to see, and we've already seen, increased demand for videos, so video interviews. And so if there are people who want to be more engaged in societal conversations about their area of expertise, they're going to have to get used to being in front of the camera. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I noticed, for instance, I I browse through LinkedIn and, I don't know, at, at least two-thirds of what you see are videos. Yeah. And yeah. that's 
that's been growing recently and it's, it's already a lot. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that in all the channels and, uh, you do get a, a lot of good engagement when you have a good video. Mm, exactly. So, uh, it's, it's a bit daunting, I think, <laughs> for a lot of people, but the payoff can be great. And, at least I, I perhaps might have a biased opinion on this, but uh, when we're talking about institutional accounts, they're really there to, you know, highlight the good in the work, you know, that social media, I think a lot for a lot of people is a bit daunting because they don't know what's out there. But there are a lot of people who want to be proactive and support the work and the lines of research that are going on, for example. So it's not always a scary place. That's what I'm trying to say. I know it's not. It's not. As, as, you, as you already said, is uh, have to choose what is what each person feels com comfortable with. Yeah, and I, I I think that's something that uh, could benefit from a little bit more discussion. That uh, a lot of a lot of the conversation is really about okay, you have to be on social media. I, I've heard that quite often, but at least personally, I think that it's really useful to have people think about okay what do they want to get out of it what are they looking to do you know uh are they really excited about getting involved in societal conversations like that's one thing or is it about talking about their uh, research results within a smaller community and that there's some of that happening for example on twitter all the time but um yeah, it's just a matter of getting a sense of what it is that you want to say and well, who we can you engage with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not enough. Go to social media. Yeah, that's <laughs> not enough. Okay, now in being more, uh, getting some more practical insights from you, what for you would be the your best piece of advice for for experts in communicating effectively, especially to wider audiences? Yeah, so I I guess I would have three three main tips. Uh, the, the first one would be if you're getting ready to speak to a broader audience, whether that's uh, in the form of a panel discussion that's open to the general public or you're talking to the, uh, a journalist who's writing a piece on your research but doesn't have a specialized background like you do, uh, the first step, and this uh, this is one that's especially useful, I think, for people who are not used to uh, talking in these contexts. Uh, my first piece of advice is to check your education and experience at the door. And that sounds a bit funny, I know. Was it? So I'm not talking about a coat check. I'm not saying hang it up. <laughs> you enter the room and hang it up and forget about it. Absolutely not, because you've been invited to speak because of that experience and education, mm. that expertise that you've gathered. But I mean, check it. Like, really check it. So think about what it means. Look at it. If it's your coat, if pretend that it's your coat. So what do these sleeves mean? How are the years of education reflected here? Uh, do you have a really big collar because you've had to protect yourself with loads and loads of jargon over the years? Yeah. Uh, what do you know now that you didn't know when you started studying when you were 18, 19, 20 years old? What did it feel like to go into your first lecture on this topic? And how has your understanding of this topic or your perspective developed over years? If you've been studying the same phenomenon, tracing back 
let's say four or five decades. There are people that I have worked with yeah. who have been around that long. Uh, how has your, how have your ideas about this topic developed over that time? And if you can trace that back, uh, even just in a little way, it gives you a bit of a clue to, uh, what it means to speak to someone who doesn't have this background. And it also gives you a chance to build a bit of appreciation for all the work that you've put in to understanding this and realize that, hey, you know what? Of course, it's quite obvious if you have loads and loads of credentials and, uh, lots of experience, hundreds of published papers, for example. Uh, these are not uncommon, but, you know, to get a little bit of a reminder that, hey, actually, I know something. I just need to think about it a bit differently. So for this particular context, I, I'd say that that's my number one point, especially for people who uh, are not accustomed to speaking to wider audiences. So once you've done that, or once you're accustomed to thinking in that way, uh, the second thing is to step into the world. And if possible, step into the audience's world too. So what I mean by that is uh, you have to a little bit, once you've recognized that, okay, you have all this expertise and knowledge and experience and understanding that perhaps others don't, or they actually don't, <laughs> uh, you need to a little bit detract yourself from the claws of your own industry or your own field. So in the most simplistic way, this means dropping jargon. I think most people have heard this before. Uh, avoid the kind of scientific terminology that is super commonly used in your particular area uh, within a pretty small group of people. Um, but actually, I think what's more useful is to think about the assumptions of why your view is interesting and try to get away from those. Because what happens is when you're used to talking to people with your same background, if you're talking at conferences, specialist conferences, so academic conferences, let's say, where you're talking to people who are studying the same thing or have the same educational background, let's say, uh, they're pretty understanding as to why something might be interesting. But that same thing doesn't come through to people who don't share that background. So uh, what you need to start doing is thinking about who the audience is and what does your your idea, your perspective mean for them. And that always starts with understanding who's in the audience. Always. So if you're speaking at an event... You can ask the event organizers, this is an incredibly easy fix, but you can ask the event organizers, who's going to be attending? Who is the event meant for? Is it something that anybody can walk into? Is it at the public library where you're going to have six-year-olds and 49-year-olds with uh, specialized backgrounds and then 80-year-old grandmas who have never even heard anything about what you're about to talk about, but for whatever reason have sat down and said, hey, this is something I want to hear about. Or if it's a journalist that you're speaking to, who reads their publication? Who are they writing for? And what kind of audiences can can you expect from that? And based on that, you can get a good sense of, okay, what are these people going to understand? What is going to be somewhat relatable to them? And work from there. Think about examples. Uh, 
I don't know if you remember, you and I worked on a TEDx event. Yes. Uh, about, I guess it start, all started about a year and a half ago. Uh, but when we had one of the training sessions, uh, I remember we had a quite a diverse group. We had 14 speakers in all, 13 of which who participated in the training. Uh, and I remember, I, I'm not sure if it was at the first session or the second session, but we talked about what are the challenges that uh, researchers or people who are very much specialists in their field, uh, what are the challenges they have for writing a TEDx talk? And what are the challenges that people who are speaking from their personal experience, uh, what, what are their challenges? And I remember looking at the group of people and I remember saying that uh, the challenge for the specialist is going to be integrating some kind of personal element into the talks because they're used to speaking at such a general kind of, okay, this is knowledge. This is backed up. This is, um, this, this exists. This, this is happening, uh, that kind of level. Uh, even if they take away the jargon and everything more abstract, usually. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and, then the people who were there who uh, were speaking more from their personal experience, uh, that their challenge would be bringing their personal experience more general, so making it understandable and relatable to other people who don't share that. And so it was the, really this, uh, we had this contradiction here that <laughs> some were struggling to make it more personal and some people were struggling to make it less personal oh, and yeah. more general. <laughs> And that's exactly how it unfolded. I remember that uh, many people struggle to in to really understand, okay, uh, for a TEDx talk, how can I integrate something personal into something that doesn't seem to me to be personal at all? But in the end, we got it, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's something that can be done with practice, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I've done two points now. I, my third tip uh, really is, uh, for, for speakers going into these kind of situations where they're speaking to broader audiences is to let yourself be excited. Uh, let yourself be excited about the topic. So if you're talking about climate change and you have a background in kind of something related to this, so let's say water pollution or pollutants, plastic, microplastic, something like that. So let yourself be excited about the, the topic overall. You can be excited about the occasion. So if there's some kind of uh, awareness building event and that's what you've been invited to speak about, be excited about the occasion. That comes through. Uh, people want to hear about why you're excited to be there or they want to see it at least. Or if, if there's no big occasion, you can be excited about the people. Uh, you can be excited about the audience that, hey, I'm, this is a very basic level, but I'm really excited to be here today. Or you see people that you recognize if you're speaking at an event in front of decision makers, you can make note of that. Hey, this is really important that we have these kind of people here. I'm really excited about this, that we're engaging in a conversation. Um, and I think this idea of excitement doesn't always uh, resonate with people who are specialists because they, it's certainly not all in these these rules uh they 
they're general, of course, but uh, what I've noticed is that some people get trapped into this uh, idea of a faux professionalism, I'd say, where they have to be a little bit distant. Yeah, have to be serious, have yeah. to look serious. Yeah. yeah, and what I would love to see more is people being excited about things. So uh, getting away from this idea that being distant or uh, apart from things somehow on top of things or aside, uh, that that will give you gain you more respect or make a bigger impact because it shows that you're not personally invested. No, people want you to be personally invested, at least in some way. They want you to be present. They want you to be on that that adventure with them going through the topic. And I think that's incredibly important. Some people do this really well. It comes through immediately. Some yeah. people struggle. Yeah, and the audience will get excited. If you are excited, yeah. they will get excited immediately. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's 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 very true. I think it's a, it's a must in this number three to to get excitement one way or another. Show it, no? Show that you are. Yeah, you really love doing what you do and absolutely and sharing your message, your yeah, facts. and that doesn't mean faking it. Oh but yeah, of course. doing it genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> I I think maybe the best way of saying it is just be in the moment. So enjoy it. Realize what's going on around you that you're not speaking to a wall. You're speaking to people, and engage with them because that's what it's really about. Mm -hmm. So if you can uh, repeat your three points. Yeah, so my three points. Uh, number one, check your education and experience at the door. Mm -hmm. Two, step into the world, and if possible, the audience's world too. And three, let yourself be excited, either about the topic, the occasion, or the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent, three points, and I think very... Um, Easy to put in practice. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, uh, the audience will have to call you, drop you a message. <laughs> exactly. Tell me, tell me how. <laughs> I'll be awaiting feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I know if you have some uh, couple of examples of um, some people or, or or causes or organizations who have do it have done it right. Mm. Yeah, um, well, there are these days so many examples of things that have been done right. And, you know, at our fingertips, we have so much information all the time. Mm -hmm. So I have to say it's a bit difficult to pick just a few. Uh, if I think about uh, what's been on my radar lately, at least um, there's one one great example of the one project that I've been involved in, which has done quite well, which was very exciting for me, even though I was only um, peripherally involved, is this uh, new sustainable method for developing uh, fiber from uh, sustainably grown materials from the forests or recycled newspaper. And this was done with um, with Yen uh, Nihaukyo, which is the the spouse of the Finnish president, Sauli Niinistö. So uh, what happened was that uh, one of my wonderful colleagues has been working on this project, Minna Hölta. She's been working on this project to uh, bring attention to this wonderful new method that has the potential to change things, uh, how we 
basically make clothing. It's part of a bigger revolution. It's one piece of it. But basically, uh, it's about bringing sustainable methods to the clothing industry. So uh, the Alto team made a dress for Yeni Haukia for Finnish Independence Day, and at least my role. Uh, and like I said, I can't take credit for this project, but it was exciting to be part of this uh, very exciting initiative. Uh, and think about what these these things not just mean for Finland, but the world. So I'm interested in the international angles, of course, and thinking what what comes through. And we have... We we did it quite successfully. We the team was really strong in making uh, communications that really resonated with people, and that we had some social media hits and you know good media reception and so on. So uh, at least if we're talking about sustainability and you know what, how can we mobilize information in a way that people uh, really can relate to its things these traditions and uh these people that they know in the public eye so yeah, exactly. yeah i saw this um about this campaign not only in the in the finnish media but also from outside so uh, yeah definitely resonated and yeah. i believe uh, you might tell me uh, that this is probably the work of the researcher for many years before Absolutely. now yeah and a very diverse team yeah So, uh, communications is just one element, of course. Exactly, yes. Uh, so it's important to keep in mind, I think, that when you're making a big project that the, the team that goes to bring it forward into the world, and it doesn't really matter what kind of work you're doing, but if there's something that is going to get bigger attention, it's probably not going to be just one, one expert playing into that conversation, yeah. but it's the work of many people. Uh, it's a right. team effort yeah, always. But if we're talking about, um, you know, communicators, experts who have done really good science communications, of course, there's uh, people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is an astrophysicist and very well known and American, of course, uh, or Bill Nye. The science guy, I grew up with him. He's come back with a science show. I think it's called Bill Nye Saves the World. It's bringing a lot of attention to, again, climate change. How do you change. find it in uh, YouTube? Uh, his stuff is on Netflix these oh, days. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one of the examples that I wanted to bring forward, it's not actually an example from... Uh, an expert explaining something very successfully, but it's a, a little bit different. You know, of course, that I was, um, I'm originally from Canada. And so I follow Canadian, the p Canadian political scene. I try to, you know, even though I've been here in Finland for about 10 years, I, I follow it and I have really enjoyed watching this internationally popular prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and how he's hit with some things, especially internationally. It's been incredibly uh, fun to watch over the years, the last <laughs> few years, I have to say. Uh, and I think it was 2016, he was visiting um, an institute in Canada. Uh, he did a press conference and it was an institute that works on quantum computing and in this press conference he very succinctly describes what quantum computing actually is wow. i think on something like 35 seconds And it came a little bit unexpectedly because, A, no one ever expected him to be able to explain <laughs> this very complex topic. Mm -hmm. 
but be, it really resonated with people. It became very popular uh, around the world at that time because uh, it was quite a good description that, okay, most people can't describe quantum computing. And when I was thinking about this example, I went back, I had remembered that one of the news magazines had interviewed some experts right after this. Mm-hmm. They, I, I found the article and it was seven experts and they asked these seven experts to explain quantum computing. <laughs> <laughs> following- One minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Following Justin Trudeau's model, you know, oh, what do you have to say about this? And it was quite cute because the first the first line is that okay, this cannot be explained in thirty five seconds. How could it? But what you see there, if you look at the article, is seven very different descriptions of the same phenomenon. Uh, some are using a very complicated language. Some are more accessible. Some are talking about the implications, like why is it so important? But it really resonated with me somehow because you see it how differently you can describe some the same phenomenon, even though you have very uh, similar backgrounds, probably, these seven experts. Uh, you also see how quickly someone who can articulate something succinctly mm-hmm. and in an understandable, comprehensible way, how that can override all these expert opinions. Sense out, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was a real win for Justin Trudeau's team in a way. It got him a lot of attention or that among many other things at the time. This is going back a couple of years, of course. But uh, it was interesting for me to watch this unfold because, you know, you it was a, really an example of how Someone who's able to go not down to the lowest common denominator, but make something more accessible really won the conversation. Uh-huh, great examples. <laughs> Kate, could you now share with us what is your favorite quotation? <laughs> you know, Oscar, I thought about this long and hard. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I keep turning back to the same one over and over. And I'll, I'll have to explain it, I'm sure. Uh, it goes something like this. I'm not sure who said it, but it goes, there's no fun in having nothing to do. The fun is in having something to do and not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been my favorite quote for some years. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I guess the meaning has changed a little bit for me over some time. But I think nowadays, really, let's face it, like we started the conversation with uh, at the this conversation by saying that you know kids these days they never have nothing to do so it's not really a risk that we're gonna have nothing to do there's always something to do yeah. these days but more and more what i realize is that i want to spend time on things that i enjoy doing so okay yes especially in professional life there are some things that you need to do that aren't the funnest that you know you just have to get done But to really put the emphasis on the things that you enjoy doing, because I think that's where people start excelling. That's where they start seeing the magic happen. So uh, more and more, it's it's become about that, that putting putting your emphasis on things that you enjoy doing and less energy on the stuff that you don't. Mm. That's where you you get your the the best of you. Yeah. 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 Well, definitely. Nice quote. Could you now recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring, influential for you? <laughs> uh, 
So I'm actually right in the middle of it. Uh, I had, I, I think you were there too, weren't you, at the Speechwriters Conference. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, attending Jay Henrix's workshop at this uh, speechwriting conference held here in Helsinki uh, a couple months ago. And at that time, I got his book, Thank You for Arguing. And I've been working through it. It's If we're talking about breaking down specialized concepts, it's a great example of that. Uh, he uses really everyday examples and is quite adept at making sure you can, basically anyone can understand things. Uh, he's certainly using examples from his everyday life all the time, which is quite nice. Uh, and it goes through a lot of things that if you've studied communications or you have a background in speech writing or doing uh, things with rhetoric, then you've probably, or you've definitely come across these concepts before, but it's nice to get a little bit of a refresher and see things articulated in a different way. Uh, that's, that's something that I really enjoy is that, okay, let's tackle this from a different angle and get a little bit rem uh, of a reminder at the same time. But definitely this one, I've understood that it's been used in high schools mm -hmm. and True. also, um, maybe first year university classes. And I can definitely see why that this is something that's a, a really good intro level book. So definitely I would recommend that. Mm -hmm. And it's written in like a series of tools, right? For yeah. persuasion. Yeah. And he's marked things really well. So you can go through the, the topics that you want to. And uh, there's a glossary at the end. So when you get confused, you can look things up. That's always handy for someone just getting their start for sure. Yeah, fabulous. I haven't read that book, but yeah, I also talked with uh, Jay Hendricks. Uh, I met him here also in Helsinki, yeah, and it's, I'm sure it's a fabulous book, and I have to read it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Great that you have already your copy there in front of you. <laughs> Maybe you can, uh, w once you are done, you can... Yeah, definitely, I'll send it to you. <laughs> All right, thanks, that's the deal. <laughs> Finally, can you share with us an exercise or something practical that you recommend us doing it regularly? A routine to shine. Yeah, read. I would say read. Read very diverse texts. Uh, that's something that I do definitely daily, weekly. Uh, I try to read all kinds of different things. So, of course, I read a lot of um, articles from the news media, but uh, I also have, I, you know, I live in, we both live here in Helsinki in the yes. very, top corner of Northern Europe. <laughs> uh, I actually order the New Yorker. I, it comes to my door every week. It takes a while to get here, so it always comes late. Yeah. I can never participate in the cartoon contest at the oh. end. <laughs> it's a terrible disappointment. But I get that to my door, and what I really enjoy about it is, okay, reading the in-depth articles, they're, they're written beautifully, of course. Uh, I enjoy that tremendously, but I, there's one... I've never even been to New York City. This is the funny thing. I've never, I'm born and raised in Canada, but never been to New York City, only been to the border cities in the United States. And uh, I order the New Yorker. And of course, the beginning of each issue is a rundown of all the cultural events that are happening in the city. Uh, I skipped those, but the part that I do read is this section called Tables for Two. And it's Tables for Two. Tables for Two. And it's a... Uh, just a one pager. It's a restaurant review. Uh, 
usually one main one and a side side review. And I read that because of its exquisite use of language. It's about a topic. I love food, but I've never written about food. I'm by no means an expert in anything uh, related to gastronomy. So I love to read that. I make myself read it, even if I've never been to the city, I've never been to the restaurant, and I probably, at least in the very near future, won't be at, uh, visiting these restaurants. But I love to read it just for how they describe things. And I, I have to say that reading these kind of diverse texts has helped me understand how we can use language, what mm -hmm. kind of language is usable in the written form, in the spoken form. Um, I, I just, I see only thumbs up when it comes to uh, reading different kinds of things. So that, that would be my absolute number one recommendation to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fabulous. So every time I, I, I read something from the New Yorker, I see this exquisite language they use. And, mm, yeah. I want to, Isn't it lovely? <laughs> yeah, I want to use a bit of that in my writings and also, of course, speaking. And it's a it's a great it's it's a great way to learn also how to express yourself better. Absolutely. By by reading how others express themselves. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for this interview. Very uh, exciting. Oh. <laughs> how the expert have to be. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love what you do. Yeah. I'm very excited what you're doing now and your next project that are coming next year. You, you told me something before the the interview, and. Please let us know how we can uh, learn more about you or follow you on the net. What are the best ways to I know, get in touch with you? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Katrina Yerva. Spell it, please. At K-A-T-R-I-N-A-J-U-R-V-A. -A. So um, you can follow me on Twitter and I share all kinds of things about research and also speech, things related to speech writing occasionally and that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, happy to get in touch. Excellent. Again, thanks a lot, uh, Kate, and well, Happy New Year and all the best. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time. <laughs>